The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange Podcast. I'm Jeff Goldfarb, editor of Reuters Breaking Views. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Brian Wilson, co-founder of the Beach Boys and a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Fifty years ago, on May 16, 1966, the Beach Boys released their 11th studio album, Pet Sounds. It was a curiosity at the time, departing from the band's surfer roots, to experiment instead with new sorts of harmonies that included bicycle bells, Coke cans, and barking dogs. With hits like Wouldn't It Be Nice and God Only Knows, it eventually would go on to become one of the most critically acclaimed and iconic albums of all time. Wilson produced, arranged, wrote, and composed nearly all of it, and he is smack in the middle of a world tour to celebrate with shows coming up in England and Scotland before he returns for the U.S. leg in mid-June. His life and times have been chronicled for decades in music magazines, a controversial 1991 autobiography that he later disavowed, and the 2014 Hollywood biopic Love and Mercy, starring John Cusack, Elizabeth Banks, and Paul Giamatti, which focused on Wilson's struggle with psychosis and an abusive therapist. A new autobiography, entitled I Am Brian Wilson, is slated for release in October. A brief excerpt of the book describes the difficulties he faced. Quote, my life has been written about over and over again, and that's mostly okay with me, Wilson writes. For me, when I think back across my own life, there are so many things that are painful. Sometimes I don't like discussing them. Sometimes I don't even like remembering them. But as I get older, the shape of that pain has changed. Sometimes memories come back to me when I least expect them. Maybe that's the only way it works when you've lived the life I've lived. I caught up with the mercurial 73-year-old musician out in California by telephone, where we talked about Pet Sounds, the new autobiography, and his perspective on more than five decades in the industry. Here's my conversation with Brian Wilson. This album, you know, I've told a lot of people that I was going to be talking to you, this album means so much to so many different people around the world. I guess, what does it mean to you? It means uh, an achievement in uh, recording. Is there a particular moment from 1966 in the writing in the studio or on tour from the album that sort of sticks with you or resonates for you? Well, remembering how Hal Blaine played the drums, how Carol Kay played the bass, how Carl sang, how Mike sang. I have a lot of memories. Are those moments real vivid for you? Yeah, very vivid. Yeah, I remember all those trips that we did. Particularly in the studio, you mean, rather than sort of on tour. Right. Did you create those those amazing harmonies that have lasted for so long on the piano, or did, did they come out of your head? How did they get created? Harmonies got written at my piano. Then when we went to the studio, I got to hear them back over the speakers, and it was like real nice. Envisioning all the different sounds, the, how, did the, how did you start to incorporate those? By using um, a tape recorder and, and an engineer. Were you just experimenting, or were those particular sounds, like whether the dog barking or whatever, that was in your head? No, I was experimenting with uh, what I would call a small choir, a very beautiful little choir. Okay. And you've said that God Only Knows is one of your best songs. Why is that? Well, because I think the lyrics are very intimate and beautiful, and I think the melody is nice, quite nice, and the chord pattern is good. All in all, it's probably the best song I've ever written. You've come out pretty strongly against drug usage. I, I just wonder, when you think back, would Pet Sounds have existed without the drugs, though? No. We used drugs to write some of the songs, but I did not use drugs in the studio at all. Would you exchange those tough years you had to endure for a different-sounding Pet Sounds? No, no. Where does the album rate for you, sort of among your many personal achievements? 
I think it's one of my best albums. It's not my favorite album that we did, but it's one of the best albums I did. Now, I also understand you've just written a new autobiography. What's sort of the theme or the message that, that you're getting across in that book? The message for people to see how my life was from when I was a little kid to, to an older guy. Now, you, I mean, you obviously had a lot of controversy around an autobiography that came out 25 years ago um, called Wouldn't It Be Nice. Why did you decide to write this one? Uh, because I wanted to try to top what, I w did, what, what came just before it. Sorry, what do you mean by that? I don't know. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> okay. I saw one little brief excerpt that came out related to the book, and, you know, you explore the meaning of some of the personal tragedies that, were, that you experienced in your life. Uh, one of the things you wrote in that excerpt that I saw was, um, you say, when I watched my father fly into a rage and take swings at me and my brothers, was that shaping or scarring? Did you find some answers for yourself in writing the book? No, I didn't. But I, I had to go through those bad times, relive them as I did the book. I had to relive going through my dad and, you know, drugs and stuff. You said that those memories sort of came back to you you know, they, you, you, they were, you had trouble going into some of those memories. How long did it take you really to put the whole book together? It took about a year. Okay. And would you say it was more cathartic, painful, enjoyable? What was it like? It was very painful and cathartic, very much. Very much so. And when you're not out on tour, how often do you play music just on your own? I play music once every couple of weeks. On the piano, you mean? Yeah. And once every couple of weeks. And when you go out on stage, you, you still get nervous? Oh, yeah. I get very nervous. On stage, yeah. Why do you think that is, given how many, how many hundreds of times you've done it? Well, it's hard to explain. It's just that, you know, I want my band members and me to present to the audience something good that it would like, you know. How has the tour gone so far? Well, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan were great. Overseas people like the Beach Boys, like me, better than Americans do. Why is that? You know, I don't know. It's just, just part of their nature. Are there certain places that you look forward to playing? Uh, I look forward to playing Spain, England, Scotland, you know, in a lot of places. Why? Well, I mean, do you like to spend time in those places? The audiences are just different? or what, what the audiences, All the audiences there are, are very receptive to my music. And are there any specific songs that you really look forward to playing that sort of help you settle into a groove when you're on stage? Well, we do 25 Beach Boy classic songs, so, you know, they usually go over pretty good. Do they help you feel more comfortable? Like, what, what gets you more comfortable on stage? My band members, the way they play. And are there songs that you're tired of but you play just because the fans love them so much? No, no, I don't get tired of my songs, no. <laughs> okay. If you do get nervous like this, why do, why do you go out and subject yourself to 60, 70 nights on the road doing it? Well, because it, I earn money for doing it, and <laughs> I can make people happy with my music. So you overcome your own fears for, to make other people happy. Right, right. When do you feel most comfortable then if it's not on stage? Uh, taking bus rides or, I don't know, just you know, little things like talking to people or having a, a meal from room service, you know. Do your younger kids play music? No, my younger kids don't play music yet. They're only six and seven or five and six, I don't know, six and seven. So they haven't really experimented with music yet. Okay. Would you, would you encourage it or discourage it? How, how would you, what do you feel about them? As soon as they're 10 or, 10 or 15, I'll start teaching them how to play the piano. Okay. How do you consume music these days? I play uh, on the radio. Okay, so you're a radio guy still. Right. And what do you like to listen to? Uh, Paul McCartney, Elton John, and a lot, and just 60s and 70s artists. Marvin Gaye, I don't know, just all kinds of people. Do you seek out new music in any way? Do people bring you 
kind of what younger guys are, are, are putting out? Or are you kind of sticking to your groove? No. <laughs> okay. Sticking to my groove. Do you go out to hear live music at all? I haven't been to a concert. In fact, I was with Gene, you and me, and Paul McCartney's uh, concert well, about 10 years ago. So that was the last show you went to? I talked to him backstage. I went, are you going to sing She's Leaving Home? She goes, no, baby, we're not going to do that. He called me baby. <laughs> he said, no, we're not going to do that one tonight. <laughs> that was it. Did you talk about anything else with him? No. Okay. You've lived through such an evolution of the music industry, you know, from 45s to LPs to 8-tracks to cassettes, you know, all the way through to streaming nowadays. You know, is there a technology change that you've really liked that's come along? Well, I like Pro Tools because it helps me correct the pitch of seeing if there's a little bit of a flatness or sharpness. We uh, use Pro Tools to correct the pitch. Okay, so the Pro Tools is something you like using. Right. Now, obviously, like, like a lot of artists, uh, particularly of your era, your relationship with the business side of the music industry has been tough over the years. How would you characterize your relationship with the suits these days? I would say it was pretty good, but pretty much on the level, you know, pretty much on the level. What kind of advice would you give younger artists these days about the business? I would give the younger audience advice, don't use drugs. Don't use drugs. If you start a song, finish it. Don't write half a song, write a whole song. Why? Did you, did you make that? Did you write a lot of kind of partial songs, or why, why do you say that? No, because I just, you know, my dad taught me to finish. He said, always follow through with your project, you know. I tell, tell the young guys, follow through with your song. Write your whole song. You know, I also wanted to ask, you know, we've lost some really beloved artists this year. Glenn Fry, David Bowie, Merle Haggard, Prince. Were you, were you friendly with any of them? I didn't know any of those guys, no, but I loved their music, you know, but I never knew them. Who in particular, was there anyone in particular? I think of Glenn Fry, kind of with the California kind of sound following, but I don't know which one of those. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Fry, he was one of my favorites of the Eagles, I think. Yeah. Um, look, last question for you. I just wonder, Pet Sounds kicks off with, uh, with the lyric, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? How do you feel about singing that, uh, that lyric 50 years later? Well, I was what, 24 when I sang that song, you know? So I can't remember what it was like doing it, but. I just remember that, like, that I worked with Barney Kessel and, and another uh, guitar guy, and two guys that played accordion, and the two accordions mixed together. That's where you get the sound of the background. Uh, would be nice. What's it like when you when you utter those words now? You know, 50 years later. It's like going back to my youth. You know. Is that what it's all about? Is that what this tour and the, and the music is all about? Yeah. All right, listen, Brian, I really appreciate talking to you. It was, uh, I, good luck on the tour. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you sometime. Thank you.